This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the morning break. My name is Graham Stanley, and my special guest today is Jamie Keddy. Jamie is a teacher, trainer, storyteller, and stand up comedian based in Barcelona. We'll be talking about teaching, storytelling, and stand-up, among other things. Please join me live if you can and take part in the conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. I'm Graham, speaking to you live today from Mexico City. On today's show, I'll be talking to Jamie Keddy. Jamie is a teacher, a trainer, storyteller, and stand-up comedian, and he's based in Barcelona in Catalonia, Spain. He's interested in helping people use story to engage students and connect with them. And his website, LessonStream, acts as a lively community of teachers and learners. Together, they explore the possibilities of using story in the classroom. He has also written books, such as Video Telling, which is a way of combining story with, yes, you've guessed it, video. And if you want to know more, you can check out his websites, LessonStream.com, VideoTelling.com, and JamieKeddy.com. I'll be talking to Jamie right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. We have teamed up with the Witherslack Group to bring you a fantastic face-to-face meetup in Manchester next month. Tickets are free, with lunch included, and you'll be met with a host of amazing speakers. Sign up for Your Voice now at witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash yourvoice2022. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the Teacher's Health Coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators, Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and well-being in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this 
is Teachers Talk Radio News. ITV News reports on the backlash facing Middlesbrough Council from parents who want to see a return of chicken nuggets, pizza and chips to school dinners. Parents have complained about food options offered by schools across the town, claiming they are too adventurous and the portion size is too small. The complaints came following a move by the authority to try and increase fruit and vegetables, reduce sugary items and introduce vegan options and other healthier alternatives. Comments on Middlesbrough Mayor Andy Preston's Facebook page number over 400 and the majority of them criticised the new menus. Concerns include pupils not eating enough during a long school day and this impacting on concentration, focus and therefore learning. The current cost of living crisis has also increased concern as children eating a hot meal at school each day becomes even more essential for some families. The changes came at a time when one in 10 children in Middlesbrough are classed as obese when they start school and this increases to one in five once they're in year six. Middlesbrough Council has yet to comment on the story. The Royal British Legion has announced plans to live teach about aspects of remembrance this autumn. In plans announced on the forces.net website, it states that children will be helped to understand the importance of remembrance and its continuing relevance today. The Royal British Legion will join forces with the National Literacy Trust to launch a new range of teaching resources, including live lessons. The Alive with Poppies Poetry Project will take place between the 3rd and 6th of October and the Live Remembrance Assembly will be on the 11th of November. This year, all the resources will explore the theme of service, highlighting the role of civilian emergency services, the work of intelligence services, as well as the work of the armed forces. Further details can be found on the Royal British Legion website. In Scotland, the National reports on Nicola Sturgeon's visit to St Albert's Primary School in Pollock Shields, Glasgow. She visited to see an assembly marking the end of Scotland's Climate Week, saying it was only right to listen to the voices of young people on climate change. The theme of this year's Climate Week was to encourage respectful conversation about climate change. After the recently announced death of rapper Coolio, a video of him partying with University of Central Lancaster students went viral once again. The video originally posted in 2013 shows Coolio singing Gangster's Paradise inside a student house in Preston. The viral video also shows him cooking a meal with the students. Many have returned to the internet to view the video and pay tribute to the artist most well known for the song which featured on the soundtrack of the film Dangerous Minds. The film follows a teacher and her group of students studying at a school in a deprived part of Belmont, California. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm answering the frequently asked question, how do I support a new pupil that doesn't speak English? Well, technology is here to help. There's a few things to consider first. Apps work differently on different devices, so you'll need to have a play with the kit you have to hand. This episode is just a list of things you could try. Also, you need to remember that translators are not totally accurate, although they are pretty good nowadays. To prove this, I translated my last sentence into Ukrainian and back again. It went in reading. Also, you need to remember translators are not totally accurate, although they are pretty good nowadays, and came out. Also, you have to remember that translators are not completely accurate, although they are pretty good now. Totally became completely, and nowadays became now. Not bad, really. So, what is available for working online? 
Microsoft Edge has immersive reader built in. Press F9 and you'll be greeted with a plethora of tools. As far as translation is concerned, you can translate a page into over 80 languages and have it read to you. You can also send a link to open in Reader View by adding read colon in front of the address before you send it. In Google Chrome, you can go to settings and add languages to allow you to translate. What about documents? If you use Microsoft Office in any app, highlight, right click and select translate. Pick your language, job done. Same applies to Google Docs, although it will save as a translated copy. Need a quick translation for an important question? Translate, do you need the toilet? Into Russian. In Russian, do you need the toilet is? That example was Siri, who doesn't translate into Ukrainian yet. Try it with your smart devices. On most devices, you can change the language used. Just be careful with this one if it's a shared device or you or someone supporting a child needs to use the device too. Also, finding the setting again when the language has been changed may need you to have a second device to copy so you can find the buttons in a different language. That sounds too much like I'm speaking from past experience. Do you need a translated transcript of your whole class explanation? Download the Office app tap the plus sign and choose voice. Quick side note, as you're recording, you'll need permission of the people in the room to do this. Everything you say will be transcribed and then you can either translate and send or send for them to translate in one of the aforementioned ways. In this app, you can also use lens to scan handouts and translate. Finally, depending on your license, you could use a video call such as Google Meet, Zoom or Microsoft Teams to provide live subtitles using closed captions and translate. Set up a video call, join with the pupil's device and have a live translation of your lesson. This would depend on the pupil's reading ability and need some technical knowledge to enable, so it might be worth asking your technical support if it's possible. For a visual version of some of the ideas in this briefing, check out TT Radio 2022 on social media. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. This is the morning break and I am Graham Stanley. My very special guest today is Jamie Keddy. How are you, Jamie? And what have you been up to recently? I'm good, thank you for asking. Thank you for, for inviting me to join you. It's been ages, Graham. How are you doing? It has. I'm doing really well, thank you. I hope you are too. Yeah, just yeah, doing my best. I've turned I've turned 50 since since I last saw you. So I've spent the last few months coming to terms with having turned 50 um trying to eat healthy and uh get some exercise in it's quite a milestone isn't it yeah it is a bit you're you're considerably behind me i think but uh you'll get there one day (laughs) um (laughs) i I, i'm i'm quite a few years ahead of you i think but um you're ahead of me oh god yeah sorry Um, that might have sounded as being almost uh no, um, no, I, and I don't mean ahead of you in any other way other than age and years. <laughs> <laughs> Disrespectful is the word I was going to say. Um, it's um, it's great to speak to you, um, and it's been a long time, as you said. I would love to know what is your latest thing. What have you been up to recently? What what are you what are you doing? Because you you have so many fingers and so many pies as an educator. I'd love to know what is it that thrills you at the moment. Yeah, too many pies can be a bad thing. I think sometimes, so I've I've kind of reduced my pies to one big pie, and <laughs> it's <laughs> and it's it's my my online membership site called Lesson Stream, and yes. uh, it's, I think you mentioned that before. So I spend most of my time uh, professionally working anyway, creating content, lesson plans 
courses, my story course, interacting with the community. And it's just yeah. as well, really, because I launched that just before um, the pandemic. And had I not, who knows what I would be doing? Might be in the street. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people have had a lot of problems because of the pandemic, haven't they? But, yeah. um, but Lesson Stream has been going in one shape or form for quite a few years now, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was launched by the early days. It used to be called Tefl Clips, but I'd be surprised right. if any listeners remember that. And then it changed to Lesson Stream around about 2008, and it was a place to give away my lesson plans for free. And right. uh, then one day you realize, wait a minute, you've, um, a man's got to survive and make a living. So um, we turned it into the Lesson Stream membership about okay, three years great. ago, just before, just before the, the pandemic, as we said. Okay, so now if I can turn to your roots, the observant amongst the listeners will probably notice your Scottish accent. And, That's right. Um, you are originally from Scotland, but you're now based in Barcelona, Catalonia, Spain, uh, for some time, and you've been there for some time now. Perhaps you could take us through the journey that led you to move from Scotland and how you became a teacher? Yeah, I mean, this this is a, a genuine Scottish accent. Um, very rich and very masculine as well, of course. <laughs> but uh, in fact, it wasn't always this way, Graham. I, I don't know if you know, I was actually born in Birmingham in England. I didn't know that. I always thought you were yeah. born in the same town, village as Fish formerly of Marillion. I think well, we had that, that conversation once. That's where I went to school. Oh, but okay. I, 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 would, I couldn't be born in, that's Haddington, a town in Scotland, and but I right. couldn't be born there because my mum wasn't there at the time. Ah, um, okay. So she was in Birmingham, which I lived there for the first four years of my life and used to have the, for a long time, I had the remnants of a Brummy accent, the remnants of a, an English no. accent from that part of the world. I did, yeah. Wow. And they used to get it beaten out of me because they don't, well, at least in my school, they didn't take kindly to that. Oh dear. <laughs> so do you, do you remember when your accent changed? Was it, is it something you actually have a vivid memory of or was it, was it gradual? I can, I, I can remember one single vowel sound because I used to say how or now. Yeah. I remember in, in class once I'd said how or now or some, some word <laughs> involving that, that, uh, that uh, diphthong and all the other kids used to mimic me and laugh at me and go now how and you know, I said oh, to my no. friend well why, why are they making fun of me and he says because you say how and I said well, how are you supposed to say it and he looked at me and said no and I said what like no he said yeah like no and I said like no he says yeah no and <laughs> that was it I changed it on, on the spot wow. and I, I, I remember that really vividly but it's the only example of a of an effort I ever made to change my accent or one tiny part of it for survival in any case. <laughs> That's fascinating. I remember I'm, I moved to London to go to university and I had real problems back then when I, when I was there um, with, with actually people um, making fun of my accent, which was the Geordie accent from the northeast of England. And I remember the time I change, I decided to change my accent so I didn't sound as uh, it wasn't as thick, which was I was in a queue in the cinema 
and they were selling at that time. I know they sell at this time. They sell lots of different things in the in the refreshment queue for the cinema. And at that time, though, they were only sold sold pop, popcorn and a beverage. And I went up to the person who was selling and said, "Can I have a Coke, please?" And she didn't understand what I was asking for. And I was like, "You only sell two things, and I'm not asking for popcorn, Coke, Coca Cola." <laughs> and I just thought, "I can't live like this." And that was the moment that I decided to to do something about my accent, which was quite strong. And that's, I mean, that I think an awareness of your accent is essential for any language teacher. And uh, I don't Definitely. know about you, but I, I, I make little changes to my accent when I'm modelling, um, not in, not in any other situation, but specifically modelling for Spanish students or Catalan students to try and show them the sounds that uh, best suit or best fit their own, their own voices. Yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting because there's some people who can change their accent quite a lot. Um, my wife, for example, can adopt different accents, national accents, uh, local accents, etc., and do it really well. But I find it difficult. I can't do that. Now I know if you want to, if we talk to, uh, so if we turn to a speciality of yours, the role of story in ELT. Um, is that something that you use when it comes to story to put on different accents or adopt different accents depending on the story? If I'm telling a story, um, yeah. I mean, there's different kinds of storytellers and that's not really the type of storyteller I am. Um, I, think, I think when you think of a storyteller, it's often in, when we're talking about storytelling, the context of, of language teaching or education, it's very easy to think about teachers of young learners who seem to have a sort of monopoly of storytelling. And, and, and they, they are the kind of, I've learned a lot from, from teachers of young learners, I really have, and some friends I have do really, really well. They, they, often, they, they, they often take on roles of characters in the story, become those characters, and, and yeah, change their voices. There might be, there, I might do it a tiny bit every now and again, but, but so, generally not. So what is what was it about the role of story then, or story that captured your interest and how did you decide to get started in it? Well, I mean, I think that all roads lead to story. You've shared a story with me, which I mean, already this, to me, this is the most, um, the part of the podcast that I'll remember is your story about a cook. <laughs> it's a really funny story. That is a great example of a story. That that's gold. You know, that's I'm sure you've shared that with your students. It's short. It's you. Yeah. It, it's it's got so much to offer, and and so all roads lead to story in podcasting, but also in, in teaching, and it's it's something that has very gradually happened to me on the course of my teaching and my teacher training and my writing and all my work. It's just story and language are inseparable. And in teaching, it's always there. And it's there in the materials. This is why I like to use the word story, not just storytelling. Storytelling is a very specific thing. Story is much more general. And so we, 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 we for example, um, why do teachers like to use authentic materials and I think for a long time, you'd be forgiven for assuming it's because we want samples 
of authentic language. I'm really not sure that's why teachers go in search of authentic materials. I think teachers use authentic materials because that's where the best stories are. They're the most engaging texts, the most compelling. You're talking all sorts of materials from podcasts to YouTube videos, to short films, to yeah. blog posts, to images, to photo, to photojournalism, to art. This is where the stories are, you see? And that, that's, that's the driving force behind it. Um, and that's been a big, big, big interest of mine is, is using authentic materials, all of the above mentioned. Um, that's really that's really interesting. I think I think I I kind of see where you're coming from and, and think it's it's true. I think one of the things for me it has to be memorable. If you can make your a lesson that you have memorable for you for the students, then that is so important. And stories are usually very memorable. They are. They absolutely are. And a, and a story from the teacher. Let's take your Coke versus popcorn story. I mean, if I was, if I were you, maybe you've done this, and I was, I, I could, that could form the basis of an entire lesson plan. Right. It really could. It would require you, and something I always do. If, if I know I'm going to use a, one of my own stories in the class, I, I want to take some time to prepare it, to yeah. to choose what language I'm going to use, how to structure it, questions to ask my students what they're going to do before we hear the story. Because ultimately your story is nothing more than a text. Yeah. It's a short text, it's an embodied text. It's it's cognitively very interactive. Um, it's un, you know, your story is unremarkable, mm -hmm. and, and but it's meaningful. And that, to me, is the best kind of story. We don't want to be posturing. We don't want to be showing off using our stories to kind of, you know, show how great we are, for example, which is, a, I used to have a teacher who would do that and his stories always failed because he was trying to show off to us. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, I think if a story is absolutely remarkable, it usually tends to be longer and it, it, it's very difficult. I mean, I love, my, one of my favorite stories is The Life of Pi, which is a, a remarkable mm. story, but where you know where you, your students aren't going to be able to come back from that and find an example story of their own. If we want to use stories to unlock other stories, these short, personal, unremarkable but yet meaningful anecdotes are the are the are the golden nuggets, I think. And and you know this is great for fostering community in the classroom, which is what we have to do. You know, stories from the group, the teacher leading by example is really, really important. There's people will say, look, if anyone is going to tell the stories, it should be the students. And, and I think, well, that's a very strange way to do it because if we're looking for a story from the teacher, which is short, ticks all those boxes, that is the text, that is the starting point, that is yeah. the model, that's the spark, that's what students are going to build on. Um, and take from in order to 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 tell their own and prepare their own and they don't have to do it you know plenary style in the classroom although they can they can do it at home prepare it tell their stories in video um but it's you know that's it's it's very it's the best way i know for for fostering community on demand if you know what i mean because it's often something we can't just do but uh if it's, if we want to prepare to foster community this is the best way that i know there's wow, no that's, 
Of course, <laughs> that's really interesting. Uh, and how do you how when you when you are approaching it, do you is it the story that you discover or come across or that you think about? Does that come first, or do you try and find a story to match a particular theme or or well, thing you want to do with the students? I extend this to outside the classroom. So I, I think that um, I, I work with with um, other communicators as well. I sometimes do workshops for people who work in business. And yeah. I, I always say the first thing that you have to do, and I'm sure I'm not the only person saying this, is, is to become aware of a story when you meet it. And that could be a, a memory that you've got. You remember this time that that happened um, or something that you've just realized. And as soon as you've realized what you've got is a, a story, you've got to keep it in your notebook. And this is something we spend time doing as well in my, on my story course, the Lesson Stream story course. So you've the first thing is about recognition. And just did, have you ever used that story about the Coke and the popcorn I, in your teaching? I have done so but never as you say to build a lesson around it it's just as it as it happened here something prompted it related to accents etc yeah and i've just come out with it so i've not really prepared it it's just come out as a spontaneous little anecdote basically so i think maybe that could be the the answer to your question about how i approach it and the way i approach it in one word is preparation Right. And I think that, you know, storytellers often make it look seamless and improvised and spontaneous. And that's great. You really want to keep your story fresh. But that, you know, preparation and, and spontaneity or freshness is a better way to put it. They're not mutually exclusive, you know. And, and when, you, when you're approaching any text that you want to use in the classroom and the, and the techniques that you apply to it, what you want to get your students doing with it are all the same things that you would apply to to a teacher story when we go back to this idea that a story is nothing more than an embodied text delivered by a human being with an awareness who can speed up who can slow down who can repeat parts who can ask questions that can uh, personalize it with with questions to students bring students into it and and so that is a, a really nice image that I like. A story is a, an embodied text. It's, it's it's great for teacher development too, Graham. I mean, everything mm. that we do um, in the classroom will involve using our voices at some time. Yeah. And by developing our, our voices as storytellers, we can, you know, we can really, really develop as teachers. I think that we're fed a lie. The lie is often that teacher talk is bad. Therefore, we should do as little of it as possible. And I, I'm a great believer in paying attention to the efficiency of teacher talk. Absolutely, yes. And to reduce it is always a, a, a good thing for most of us, all of us, including myself. But, you know, the only way to develop your teachers, you know, the only best way to develop is to develop your teacher talk rather than to reduce it is to actually develop it and working in efficiency and the time is just one very small part of it there's so much more and an umbrella way of developing your teacher talk is to embrace storytelling i i i, I very passionately believe yeah that sounds really interesting i i think i'm totally with you and agree 
that it's that efficiency of teacher talk that is so important and preparation seems to me to be one of the things that that would help would definitely help you with that teacher talk for example absolutely i mean there's there's grading i mean is is it's it's become aware to me how long it took me personally to really understand you know how to grade language or, or how to to connect it with language levels cefr descriptors of a1 a2 b1 b2 etc and and i think a lot of teachers that i work with in my course when we look at language grading they have this little moment oh my goodness me yes i didn't realize how it kind of works but word frequencies um that kind of thing um and you know the, I, when i watch new teachers at work I often realize it's not just about how much they they talk but it's about their the language that we use um you know maybe a lack of an awareness of of not just you know using you know low frequency um culturally specific very idiomatic words um i was going to say not just using low frequency but also maybe idiomatic and culturally dependent words or terms stuff like that there's there's so much to be aware of i think that it's uh, the word awareness is very important and, mm. and and again i've developed a huge amount of my awareness i think through embracing storytelling as a as a teacher as a as a human being as well yes i can I, I can see I can see that I think this awareness of 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 language and it is something that as a teacher you you develop um, that as you go along especially if you teach different age groups different levels of students if you're a language teacher it's definitely something now to go back to the kind of storytelling or the kind of uh, interest in story that you 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 are using I think I'm right in saying that you took a particular interest in video recently and you've developed you actually wrote a book about for teachers about that video telling that sounded I remember when I came across that it was a very engaging way of using story and building upon it could you yes. talk a little bit about how that came about and what it entails yeah well, if we're looking for for stories to, to use in the classroom as teachers are i think video has been you know the explosion of of narratives you know the youtube led the way didn't it when it was born in 2006 and for 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 that for the last almost two decades i've been looking for ways to exploit video content in the classroom and, and I think I mentioned before, why do we love video? I mean, we love video because of the stories that it yeah. offers us. And so through through my work with video, I developed this um, technique that I call video telling. And video telling is simplest. It's just putting video narratives into words, which is by no means a, an original idea, either in life or in education. Um, in, in life, it might be, imagine if you've got a friend of yours telling you about a about a funny advert that they saw on TV the day before or a or a goal 
that was sh scored that should never have been allowed because they've watched it eight times in slow motion or your son or your daughter passionately telling you how, how our polar bears hunt for seals because they saw it in a nature documentary or the funniest YouTube clip of the moment or a silly cat video. We do this all the time. We put video narratives into words and there's, there's a lot of possibility for doing this for the classroom. One of my favorite all-time favorite activities at the moment and it is becoming more and more so is is taking a very short video i mean it could be a six second video and showing it to students and saying right i want you to prepare a text just imagine that you're you're you're, you're telling a friend about this video what's your text going to look like put it into words give them some some a few bits of some language support some scaffolding for specific language items phrases that you know they will have to use but don't give them too much i much prefer them to use dictionaries and then compare the texts a lot of teachers might say well it'd be better to give you know split your class into a b give one half of the class a's the other class b's and i think no i prefer everyone to be working with the same video because there comes a huge amount of, of divergence when they come to compare their texts and i mean a, a six second video can work for this let me let me give an example a video that sure. i use for this that I, I really enjoy in fact this was a video i've been working with for 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 maybe 15 years and this just sweat, blood, sweat and tears, trying to find what I can do with this video is one of the places that video telling came from. It's a very, it's a very short video. It's a, it starts with a still of a, of a lake. It's actually a pond, I should say. It's very green, very beautiful. Mm. So it's, uh, there's this, I, th I think perhaps you can just see the eyes of a frog sticking out the <laughs> the surface of the water you see still motionless and uh above the above the pond sitting on the on the end of a twig is this uh dragonfly and uh i'm gonna guess that to the frog in the frog's eyes this is a a tasty looking snack and as quick as a flash this this frog just leaps at the prey and, and stretches out his arms, he opens his mouth. Um, I've turned him into a male, I don't know why now, but he opens his mouth as wide as he can. He sticks out his, his tongue. And I don't know if it's cause and effect. I don't know if the dragonfly um, sensed the danger or if the frog's action caused the dragonfly to do what she did, or if it was just complete chance, I, I'm going to guess that it was just a complete coincidence that at that very moment that the frog leaped, the dragonfly, she remembered that she had something very important to do. And uh, she, she flies away, you see, out of the reach of the frog, and the frog, <laughs> the frog falls back to the pond with his mouth and his arms, his mouth open, his tongue still out, lands on the, the water with a flash, a splash rather. Looks like a complete idiot. I mean, <laughs> I, I sometimes wonder, Graham, do, do animals get embarrassed? And, and oh, I mean, I, I, definitely. I, I've they definitely my do. Dog. They do. Do you think they do? Because my well, dog. Cats definitely do. You can see, I, I've noticed it. You, you can have a cat sitting on a on a sofa, for example, and then they sort of drop off and they slightly almost fall off the sofa. And you can tell 
or at least unless I'm projecting in, uh, on it. But I think so. <laughs> it's funny because I've spent I've spent a lot of time thinking that question without realizing it. But when my dog does something, the dog adopts his body language that we might uh, we might yeah, that that looks like an embarrassment to me. And you should be embarrassed after what you've just done, you you fool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 convinced yeah. that uh, animals do feel embarrassment. <laughs> But the frog must have been thinking. I always imagine the frog was thinking, uh, "Wow, that, that I'm glad nobody saw that. That would have been really embarrassing. Me leaping at that dragonfly and missing, falling back the pond, looking like an idiot." But the frog, what the frog doesn't realise is that the the incident was caught on camera, and it's a six a six second video. It, the camera must, must be in a tripod. It's a high speed video, so it's all in slow motion. There's no audio. It's all just silent. And it was shared on YouTube. It's titled Frog Fail. And for poor frog, it's been viewed over a million times. So I, I remember that video. It was very popular, wasn't it, when it first appeared? Yes, it, it, it was. Um, but that's, that's the answer. That's how you use a language-free, narrative-rich, six-second video in your classroom. You, you you use the visual narrative, it's a translation activity because you're translating the visual narrative into a verbal narrative. You're getting your students to do it. Once they've done it, you ask them to compare their texts. There's so much possibility for divergence. Did they mention the frog first? Did they mention the dragonfly first? What are the sort of adjectives they use to describe them? How do they feel sorry for it? Who do they feel? Do they feel sorry for the frog? Do they side with the dragonfly? There's so much that can come out from it. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. But importantly, I like to have a text of my own that I've prepared so students can compare theirs with the teachers. And this is an example of a, a lesson plan, actually, that's coming soon um, in the lesson stream membership. Hope you don't mind me just mentioning that. So, oh, that's fine. Surreptitious plug there. It wasn't that surreptitious, <laughs> was it? <laughs> no, that's, so that, that's, that's, that's video telling. Excellent. That's a really good example of of how the, I mean, it's more than still images, isn't it? That uh, video contains so much more information than a, just a still image. Mm. It does. And I'm a great fan of still images as well. And I do, as well as video telling, I do picture telling. And uh, we're getting, we're actually reaching the picture telling and the video telling components of the story course, which is my my kind of flagship course and lesson stream and we're reaching the picture telling and video telling units soon and I'm really really looking forward to them. Fantastic. Yeah. Now Jamie I, I'm sure this is an extension of your interest in story um, but I recently found out that you've been doing stand-up comedy too and I think you've been doing that for about oh, every week for about a year now? Yeah um, that's right. What? Was that an extension of your interest in story that you got you involved in that, or have you always been in, interested in stand-up? No, I've I've always um, I know you're absolutely right. Both the, the answer is both. I've always been interested in it. Um, I remember I was very interested in it as a teenager. I used to watch Friday Night Live religiously every week, and mm -hmm. um, I, I I and it's also an extension of my interest in story and storytelling. Um, and it's really interesting because I think a lot of people go into stand-up comedy almost assuming 
they're 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 very they're they're very similar. Sometimes even the same things that that comedians stand-up comedians just tell funny stories, and that can be your undoing, as it was mine. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, yeah. It was a a crazy experience. You know, you I hadn't as much as I'd listened to it. I hadn't really taken the time to analyze it. And so when I did it for the very first time, I had a five minute open mic spot here in, in Barcelona, which there's a lot of comedy here in English. And I told a, 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 a funny story. And uh, the, the story was quite funny. It had moments of humor through it, um, which is which is great if you're gonna use a story for comedy. But it, it the problem was, is that there was, there was not enough laughter. There were not enough jokes. And right. the payoff kind of came at the end. So basically, you, you, you have a, an audience that wants to laugh. They're sitting through, you know, a story for five minutes. And the payoff is a punchline at the end. I think this is, a, a, is not a way to approach a story. I don't like thinking of stories as having punchlines. Stories yeah. have ways out. Stories have closure. Stories have endings. But jokes have punchlines, mm. very specifically, uh, you know. And, and I think that when you start to analyze what, what jokes are, you've got to try and look for maybe three laughs per minute when you're preparing. I mean, a lot of comedians will go for one joke every 17 seconds, which I think is something I've heard before. Wow. Yeah. But it is. So it's, you're. Yeah. Your approach to stand-up then has changed since then, I'm sure. And has your experience of stand-up changed the way you approach story? Yeah, I mean, I, my approach stand-up, it's not that it changed because I never had one because I'd never tried stand-up <laughs> until, you know, okay. August last year was the first time I did it. And, you know, I, I took the, away the, the positive. Um, I tried to get over the negative. And it can be quite difficult because the negative, when you bomb, as they call it, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts a lot. Um, but I've tried to build on it and um, learn a new craft is really what it is. It's, it really is learning a new craft and taking what you've got from understanding how story works and taking... There are transferable um, elements of it. There's definitely, without any doubt, transferable skills approaches, techniques. Being on the stage is one of the biggest one. There's something we're used to as a teacher, um, as a storyteller, as a conference speaker, as, as you are, um, as we are, as a lot of people are. It is very, very, it's very helpful. But I think that what I take away from it is that maybe when we look at stand-up comedy and we, we compare it with uh, storytelling. It has elements of storytelling, but it also has elements of poetry. Because right. one of the most important parts of the craft of stand-up comedy is actually about the writing. Yeah. You, you, you spend a huge amount of time writing and scripting and getting every single word, you know, it, it, that's, what it, that's the attention to detail. And, and I think that that's maybe what's less visible when you watch a stand-up comedian at work. And, I mean, you, you said to yourself, Graham, you've been dabbling. Am I right? Yes. I, I've only done it three times, though. And the first time, it was absolutely nerve-wracking. I kind of approached it 
from the writing point of view. I, I spend a lot of time writing. Then the most difficult thing for me, I enjoyed the, I really enjoyed the writing of it and the idea of trying to, you know, get uh, setups, punchlines, etc. But then the most difficult thing for me was actually to memorize it, to get it that I could actually do it um, without referring to notes. And then when it came down to it, actually on the day, I went off script. And so the five minutes <laughs> ended up being nine. And fortunately, <laughs> the person who was organizing the night, uh, he told me when I, you know, when I first did it, he said, okay, remember it's five minutes. I'll give, I'll flash the light when I, when it's your time up, etc." But he let me go on. And I told him before I went on, it won't be longer than five minutes. I've, I've practiced it so often, so much, I'll just do it. But I ended up doing all this sort of, as they call it, crowd work. So I ended up addressing various people and respond. they responded and I responded to that, etc. And so it ended up being nine minutes. And he came off and he said, look, this is, <laughs> he showed me the timer. But it all went by in a flash. I don't know what your first experience was, Jamie, but it was it was fascinating, but very, very difficult. It, my my first time it was almost identical to yours and i think every time every time i've seen a comedian do it for the first time well usually they've gone over the time because you're absolutely right you you yeah. five minutes is the standard currency of a, a stand-up spot and yeah it goes on till seven or eight or i think I'd, i think i had about eight or nine as well which i was i was absolutely shocked at because i pride myself in my timekeeping yeah <laughs> Yeah. But what you what there's something interesting. I think that uh, you can make parallels with teaching, because there's you, if you if you kind of look at teaching and divide it into either being reactive mm -hmm. or preemptive. You know, reactive as being present and going with what comes yeah. up, responding to students' ideas, things that students say. You know, asking questions. That's that's reactive teaching. You know, and then also, of course, reactive teaching is giving on the spot feedback. Um, you know, drawing attention to things that students say, things that are good, things you want other students to learn from, or error correction, upgrades, yeah. all this kind of thing. That's reactive teaching, and that's improvised teaching, and that's what you're doing when you're doing crowd work in mm. comedy. But then, of course, you've got your, when you're doing your material, which is what you prepare, which is what you script, which is attention to every single word, which is why I would compare it with poetry, because the, 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 the text can be as dense as a poem, you know, I think that's what we're looking at. That That's your preemptive part. And I think that uh, it, it's, you, you become very aware of the efficiency. So when you ad lib and you start thinking, what you tend to do as a comedian is you want to just waffle and you've got the jokes prepared, but you can't help filling it in with stuff which does absolutely nothing to yeah. your set. And you've got, you go over this stage of realizing that. I mean, I've got this, this, I had to, you know, I've got this bit about a baby I do. It was, I, I, I looked after, a, I, I, I held a, a naked baby once, Graham. And, <laughs> and it was my friend's baby. And she said, you know what? Have you ever held a naked baby? And I said, no, I've never held a naked baby. She said, hold my naked baby. And there's something, she said, you've never held a baby till you've held a baby naked. And it was hilarious. And there's something quite incredible about holding a naked, naked baby. And this, is, and this is this became the basis of, of, of my set. 
And uh, so when I tell this story, the storyteller in me had to contextualize at work on the, on the setup and say why I was actually in this, this situation in the first place, tell them a bit about my friend, about why I, you know, I thought this was really important. And it took me about a minute to give the background of this whole, you know, this story. And then yeah. after, you know, the stand-up comedian, you, you, you learn that you reduce it to the following. A friend of mine's a new baby. Don't know where she got it. Bath time, she says, do you want to hold my baby? I said, uh, no way, it's naked. She says, hold my baby. So I held her baby <laughs> and she was right enough, he was naked, but then something unexpected happened. It turns out a naked baby is a joy to behold. So you can see that that, that is, you know, reducing the, the setup of a story, which is something I teach in my course, the importance of paying attention to the, the setup, which if yeah. you don't, People are not going to get your story, but this is different. You're being, this is total and utter efficiency of language. You, you let the audience make up their own, answer the questions, fill in the gaps, get to the punchlines. They don't have to know who this person is, why you were there, why you're holding a baby, you know, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that can really inform you as a teacher as well. Again, it's efficiency of teacher talk, looking for the right language looking for the right word choices. Yeah, that's that's fascinating, actually. I think what you said about, about efficiency is so important. I think that's one of the things that teachers can learn from dabbling in stand-up, if you like, trying to sort of, especially teachers who, uh, uh, as you said before, end up sort of going off piste a little bit and drawing things out more. It definitely is a medium that, uh, that you need to be very, um, very careful about the words that you use, etc. It's principally because of the time, isn't it? Because a lot of the, lot of the thing about stand-up is that you have such a short period, uh, moment of time to be able to do what you need to do, and the audience is on patient. Whereas in a classroom, you have a lot longer, and the audience is normally captive. Yes. That's right. Well, we hope they are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they, they kind of extent. have to be, don't they? Yeah. I to think that's, extent. which is another, something we could, we could have talked talk about another day, is how to make, how to do the right things to try and encourage your audience to be captive and make your classes compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to, even though they, you, you have a captive audience as a teacher, you want them to be uh, captured by your, engagement basically you want to engage them of course but uh, I think in a stand-up comedy situation you can very easily have someone stand up and leave or talk to the person next to you next to them or to heckle you I don't know if you've ever been heckled but oh yeah yeah absolutely you it's... don't usually get heckled in a classroom for example oh you can <laughs> Unless you're teaching roundy teenagers, I yes. suppose. Yeah, fourteen-year-olds are prone to heckling, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is true. So, um, wrapping up, Jamie, because we only got five minutes or so left. Uh, perhaps you can speak about any other projects or links that you'd like to draw listeners' attention to. If teachers are interested in getting in touch with you, how would they do so? And, you know, if you want to know more about what you're involved in, I mean, you mentioned the community, 
Would you like to say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, the best place to get me um, is at my website, lessonstream.com or Instagram, um, lessonstream. Um, as, yeah, lesson and stream as in river. Um, yeah, and um, we've actually got um, Scott Thornbury joining us for a, a guest webin webinar on Thursday where Scott's going to be talking about story, which is becoming a little um, interest of his as well which is interesting. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. That sounds good. And uh, if you're in Barcelona, um, drop me a line and uh, come and see me at one of my spots and heckle me. I'm, I'm very <laughs> open to being heckled. Are you still, you're still doing stand-up every, every week? Is that right? We have a little, we have a, there's a, there's a, a comedy show called, uh, sorry, a comedy venue called the Comedy Clubhouse, which is a bit of a hub Right. In, in Barcelona and um, I go there on, on Mondays uh, they have a they have a, a night called shitty Mike <laughs> oh, and it's and, and it's, it's it's fun because it's every comedian gets three minutes and they put your names in a hat and they draw out your your name and whoever gets drawn out next you're up so nobody knows when they're going up and you've got three minutes and it's so called because you're encouraged to try out new ideas new new material but there's a nice little community there and uh if any of my comedian friends are listening i'll share this podcast in the comedy comedy group i'll say hello to them fantastic excellent so jamie thank you so much for uh joining me today it's been a pleasure catching up with you again and uh i'll definitely invite you to come back again sometime soon Thank you so much, Graham. It's been a pleasure and thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to speak to you always. So that was Jamie Keddy. I remember I first came across Jamie at a Pichachka event at the IATFL conference some years ago. I forgot to mention this when talking to Jamie. If I remember correctly, he was playing videos from YouTube and engaging the audience in between the present presentations at that event. Pechachka, spelt Pecha Kucha, with a K, for those of you who don't know it, is a storytelling presentation format that has strict guidelines. The term means something like chit-chat in Japanese, and presenters are asked to show 20 images and talk about each image for 20 seconds each. So it's an efficient storytelling device that limits the amount you can say about something. So that means you have to prepare very well and focus on the most important details of what you want to say. I've done it twice now and really enjoyed it, particularly the last time I did it, which was at an English language teaching conference in Hungary. I presented an argument why teachers should consider using video games for students in the classroom. I think it's still out there on YouTube, actually. It was the last time I, I looked for an example of Pichachka for, uh, to show to people. Um, I think the first time I did it was in a mixed audience in Barcelona in Spain when they, it was held um, in Spanish and English, and that was fun as well. But uh, the audience was unfamiliar. I think to go back to what, Jamie and I were talking about with um, stand-up. I think one of the things that's interesting to me 
is always that despite having uh, confidence and experience of public speaking, for example, as a teacher, teacher trainer, conference presenter, etc. Every time you change the audience and the situation, you can't help becoming, you know, you're always nervous. I always remember the two times I gave, for example, a best man speech uh, at weddings, one of them with my, uh, I was best man uh, for a good friend and a best man for my brother and my brother's wedding i was extremely nervous despite having lots of experience as a teacher teacher trainer as i said so i think that is uh that is the key so i actually have um to go back to pechachka i have another link to pechachka uh this presentation format was invented by someone i used to work with back in london I used to work for an architectural practice shortly after leaving university. And one of the architects, Mark Ditham, well, he won an architectural competition in a magazine that saw him invited to Japan to build a building, the building he designed for the competition. And he uh, used that to build a successful architectural practice out of it. And in order to attract creative types to the event space that was attached to that practice, he came up with the idea of inviting designers to network to show their work and exchange ideas there. And I think the Pachachka format was developed because of that, inspired by the desire to show more and talk less, as uh, was the motto, I think, that they, they took on board. And the Pachachka night they organized, that one quickly became very popular and spread to cities all over the world. And it was adopted and adapted by other industries and sectors, including education, teaching. And I think that still remains strong today. In fact, I read recently that official Pecha Kucha nights have been held in more than 1,142 cities worldwide, and more than 3 million people have now attended one. If you haven't, if you haven't seen a Pechachka, then I definitely recommend uh, looking it up on the on the on YouTube and having a look because it's a good thing you can use with students as well. It's a good it's a good format that students can prepare uh, based on on images and 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 presentation and uh, presentation format basically. So enough taking my lead from Mark Ditham. Ditham, I'm going to talk less now and wrap things up. So that brings us to the end of today's morning break. Many thanks to today's special guest, Jamie Keddy, and all of you who joined us live. And, of course, to all of you who are listening back to the recording. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week, and the next show will be later today at 6 p.m. UK time. You can join me again next week at the same time. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.